The church is not what we might think of if we were to think of the stereotypical country club. Now, that may sound like a very strange way to begin a sermon, but I want you to think with me through that just for a moment. And I say stereotypical because I can't just say every country club is this way, but if we were sort of stereotype that, that way of living, the, the country club mindset, we might think, well, it's the kind of place where you pay your dues, and that's kind of it. You don't really have to do anything. If you don't want to play a few rounds, you don't have to play a few rounds. If you don't really want to vote on certain things, you don't have to vote on certain things, you just pay your dues and you're a member. That's all there, that's all there is to it. And a lot of the, the stereotypical way of looking at, at that country club lifestyle. The church is not a country club. The church is a living, breathing organism. The church is not somewhere we can just, quote-unquote, pay our dues and sit back and do nothing. Church takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of prayer, a lot of dreaming. Several decades ago, some people had the dream of a body of the Lord's people being right here in this area. They thought it was important enough to sacrifice their time and, and preach and teach, not knowing what would be held in the future, not knowing what might happen at some point in the future, but knowing it was important enough that God's people be right here in this particular area. And here we are several decades later because of their dreaming, because of their willingness to, to lay down and to think about what it really means to plant God's people in a particular location. I don't doubt for a second. They never, they never thought of what it might become all these years, all these decades later. I doubt they ever thought there would be a building quite this nice. Maybe they never thought there would be this many people gathered together. Maybe they never thought that there would be enough of a contribution to where two people could be uh, paid to work full-time for the church. There would be six shepherds. I doubt that those things ever really crossed their mind. All they knew of was it was important enough that there be a church in this area that was worth dreaming about. And we're thinking about what could be. Are you willing to dream with me this morning? You see, one week from tonight, August the 7th, our elders have set aside a service where we're going to have a devotional at 6 o'clock, and then if my PowerPoint will work, I'll be a lot happier. But at 6 o'clock, we're going to meet together to have a devotional and then, Caleb, you're going to have to hit this. Uh, we are going to have what we're simply calling a congregational meeting. It's not a very exciting term. It's not a real exciting name for anything. But as you've seen on the announcements and as we've thought about from time to time, it's simply a way to look to what we can do. The subtitles or the, the description we've been putting on there is bring ideas to help Ninth Avenue plan future programs of work. And that's a big fancy way of thinking about it. But in reality, what we're doing is we're dreaming together. We're dreaming together. I don't know what to expect. I don't know if any of us knows what to expect. But the elders have asked us to come together and to have a devotional and then just to sit around and talk together as a Christian family, each of us bringing ideas of how the future of this congregation can be brighter and better. It's not to say the past hasn't been good because it certainly has. This congregation has a wonderful history. 
We prayed this morning for, uh, and specifically mentioned men who have served before as elders who continue to be with us. And that's part of our history and part of the joy of being here is having current elders, but also men who have served, who continue to be here and continue to encourage us. And so many of you have been members for, for decades and have seen wonderful times as well as some difficult times. But sometimes it's easy for us to be going through a, a time that's somewhat good and, and things seem to be going quite well. And we become okay with just being okay. And it's time to dream. It's time to dream. And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to think about for a few moments what happens when a church dares to dream. And we're going to be looking this morning at two different books of the Bible. They're right beside each other. The book of Ephesians and the book of Philippians. And I'm going to make you kind of flip back and forth between those two passages. And... I apologize for making you flip back and forth, but you'll see why I put these points in the order that I did. They build upon each other because we think about, and Caleb, we're going to say it again, my, my battery's dead or something. But if you think about what it means when all of God's people come together and dream together, some wonderful things can happen. In the first place, I would suggest to you that when a church dares to dream, unity grows. Unity grows. We're all thinking about something that is bigger than ourselves. Just think of what would happen if every member of this congregation caught a vision of the future. I'm not talking about some mystical vision, but just catching a dream of how things could be if we all put forth the effort and pressed forward. Unity would grow because we would be thinking about something bigger than ourselves, outside of ourselves, and what could be if we all put the effort and the work into reaching for those dreams. What does that require? Well, it comes back to Ephesians chapter 4, and you're thinking, didn't we just spend three weeks on the... Is that the only passage of the Bible you know, Adam, is Ephesians chapter 4? It may seem that way, but I couldn't leave these, this concept off. I'll tell you, those three sermons that I preached at the beginning of July about having healthy things grow, having healthy attitudes and healthy teaching and healthy labor, those were in place before I ever knew when this congregational meeting was going to happen. This lesson literally just happened to follow. It be the next time I would preach following those lessons. But I couldn't help but come back to the beginning of that particular section, Ephesians chapter 4, because Paul talks about the kind of unity that it takes for us to press forward. Do you remember how that section started? Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul said, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see, it takes each one of us getting a vision for something that's bigger than ourselves and it being unified toward reaching to that particular dream. Now, for some of you, this illustration won't make a lot of sense, but for a lot of us, it will. A lot of you remember, oh, about 15 years ago, in fact, almost literally to, to the day, 15 years ago, when we first met in this building. It was about six weeks from now, 15 years ago, we first met in this particular building. But many of you remember all the leading up to that. I don't. We, we came in as the youth minister about a month or two before we moved into this building. I, I never unpacked all my boxes in that old house that used to be over here. My office was for about six weeks. I didn't want to pack them up and had to pack them up again just to move them over here. I, I, I worked out of boxes for about, about two months. But some of you remember the vision. Some of you remember the dream. Could a congregation in Haleyville, Alabama have a building this nice? 
Absolutely. Because we call it the dream. Because we all thought together. And as beautiful and wonderful as this place is, and I'm thankful for it every day, it is a, it's a building. What kind of dreams could we have for missions, for evangelism locally and somewhat locally and around the world? What kind of dreams could we have to encourage people all throughout the world? What kind of dreams could we have to encourage this community? But it takes us catching that dream, that vision, and being unified around that. I don't know what you're thinking about bringing up next Sunday night in, in the congregational meeting. I'm not even sure what I'm thinking about bringing up, if, if anything. I, I may just sit and enjoy other ideas and other goals and other visions. But what if, what if this congregation caught a vision of something that could be done? Would unity not grow as we press forward, reaching forward towards that? You see, when the church dares to dream, unity grows because we're thinking of something bigger than ourselves. I would also suggest to you that when a church dares to dream, our sacrificial nature grows. This is where our scripture reading comes into to play in Philippians chapter 2. What was, if you let me use the terminology, what was the dream of our Lord? It was the salvation of all mankind. If that was his dream, what, what was he willing to do in order to bring that about? Well, we just read it a little while ago from Philippians chapter 2, did we not? He was willing to sacrifice himself. I want you to look again at that passage in Philippians chapter 2, and we're actually going to read it out of order. Because I want you to see the point that Paul was trying to make. Begin reading with me in the middle of that passage, Philippians 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you remember the passage goes on to talk about how God now has highly exalted Christ, given him a name that's above every name, all those passages. And I don't know about you, but when I consider that passage, it's so easy for me to just jump to the example of Jesus Christ. This humility of coming from heaven to earth and so on and so forth. And that certainly is a very important part of this passage. But have you ever thought about the fact that that's the illustration? That's not the command. How did the passage begin back in verse 5? Have this mind among yourselves. That's the command. The illustration is... How did Jesus live that out? By humbling himself, coming to earth, taking the form of a servant, and so on and so forth. The, the command is for us to have that kind of mindset. Now with that in mind, drop back and read the first four verses. So if there, Verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any aff- affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing... From rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does that have anything to do with a church daring to dream? Because when a church dares to dream, I'm not thinking about my future. I'm thinking about our future. I'm not looking out for my own interests. I'm looking for the interest of others. 
And when I do, I'm going to sacrifice just like Christ sacrificed. Taking the form of a servant. You see, when we catch a vision for the future, it becomes not about me, not about my comfort, not about my thing. It becomes about us and how we can glorify God. And what can I do to make that happen? What can I give up? What time can I give? What money, yes, can I give? What uh, talents do I have that can help make that come about? It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic level. None of that matters. What matters is us glorifying God and me doing my small part to sacrifice to help make that occur. A couple of years ago, someone writing about Philippians chapter 2, the verses we just read, I want to read to you a couple of sentences that, that he wrote about it. He said, You see, when we sacrifice, we are acting more like Christ. We are learning that the greatest joy comes when we put others before ourselves. By the way, Paul wrote these words to church members in Philippi. They were written in a very clear context regarding the attitude of the church members. They were to have an attitude of sacrifice. It was a clear and powerful mandate for church members 2,000 years ago, and it still is for us today, end quote. What dream can you bring to the table that will take sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice time and talent and money in order to bring about to, for the future of God's people here? What do you see bringing more and more people together as something that we can all work together for by putting others before ourselves? What are the types of ideas and dreams that you'll consider? When the church dares to dream, our sacrificial nature grows. Now turn back to Ephesians. And I want you to notice that when a church dares to dream, our faith in prayer grows. Big dreams take a big view of God. If we are not stretching ourselves, we are not stepping out in faith. I want you to notice something that's found in Ephesians chapter 3. Okay, we'll go ahead and hit the slides if you don't mind. In Ephesians chapter 3, we know how the chapter ends. We'll get to verses 20 and 21 in just a second. But I want you to see how Paul led up to the, that famous bursting forth of praise found in verses 20 and 21. And I want you to re read with me, beginning all the way back up in verse 14. Paul said, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be fulfilled in the fullness, you may be filled, excuse me, in the fullness of God. Now, without digging deeply into all of those phrases, just notice that Paul is writing about his wishes through prayer. This is not a passage about prayer. Paul is writing about what he prays for. Verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father. And these are the kinds of things that Paul says, I pray for when I consider the church at Ephesus. And some of those things found in those verses we just read are very lofty. Comprehending the love of Christ? And Paul even says, that surpasses all knowledge. But that's what he wants. It's a lofty goal. It's, it's a dream. None of us can ever fully understand the love of Christ. We can be appreciative of it. We, we can try to understand it. 
But none of us can fully understand the height, the length, the breadth, the depth, all those things that Paul mentions because his love is infinite and we are finite creatures. But Paul says, that's what I pray for. One of the things I pray for when I consider this congregation, that you will understand the love of Christ that even surpasses all knowledge. It's with that as the background that Paul then enters into some of those beautiful words of praise found anywhere in the Bible as he ends what we know as Ephesians chapter 3 when he begins writing in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We need to put that little prayer of praise back into context. Paul is saying, yes, I know it really underscores everything he's written so far, but in the immediate context, he is saying that one of the things I pray for is for this church to know the will of God, the love of Christ, something that surpasses all knowledge. That's impossible, Paul. Now to him who is able to do far above all we ask or think. How many dreams have been killed simply because we did not have a big enough view of God? Oh, but we're in a small town. Oh, but things just aren't the way they used to be. Oh, but this, oh, but that, oh. To Him who is able to do far above all we ask or even imagine. Folks, we may be in a small town. We may not have the greatest socioeconomic level in the history of the world. We may have this problem, we may have that issue, but we serve an infinite, almighty God. And it's Him we put our trust in, not us. But it takes prayer. It takes prayer. It takes a faith that says, God, I I, I don't know if we can do this. But so long as it's within the will of your will, the will of Scripture, we trust that you can. When a church dares to dream, our faith in prayer grows because we realize we, we can't do these things alone. We can't do these things even just collectively. We must have the help of God. So a church that dares to dream, unity grows because we're working towards something together. Our our sacrificial nature grows because I realize I have to give up something. I have to work harder. I have to to give more possibly financially or maybe maybe give more of my time or more of my talents. I, I have to give those things up, but we're doing it together. And I see other people wanting to do that. So my sacrificial nature grows. And when a church dares to dream, our our faith in prayer grows because we realize we can't, no matter how much we give, we can't do all these things. Our faith in God grows. Can we end on a good note? When a church dares to dream and all those things are in place, in the fourth place, our joy grows. Flip back one more time to the book of Philippians. If we are united, if we're sacrificing for one another, if we're striving in prayer over our dreams for this congregation, I want you to know that joy will be the natural outgrowth. Joy will grow. And again, I want us to see a very famous passage of Scripture. But notice where it falls in context. I hope you notice we're trying to do that this morning. I'm not just cherry-picking a verse here or there. I'm trying to show you where they fit because all these things work together. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, 
The Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious by anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, those are verses most of us know quite well. If we can't quote them, we can at least, we at least remember them. We can summarize them. But have you ever considered the verses they follow? Have you ever started reading back up in verse 2? Where Paul said, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now, wait a minute. Paul had just written two verses that we sometimes pull completely out of the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, about Euodian Syntyche, and we preach sermons, we have Bible classes about how Christians need to get along with one another, end of sermon, end of story. It wasn't the end of the letter. Paul wrote, these ladies need to agree in the Lord. And how did he begin verse 4? Rejoice, what? In the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying that when these women are unified in the Lord, there will be rejoicing in the Lord. Those two things are not two separate contexts. It is one context. And Paul is saying that when unity grows, and when sacrificial nature grows, and when prayer grows, joy in the Lord grows. And I'm here to tell you the same thing is true in 2016. It absolutely is still true. Rejoice in the Lord always. A church that dreams together and is willing to sacrifice toward those dreams arm in arm and side by side will be a church that is filled with joy. Does it mean every day is going to be wonderful? No. But it means there will be joy. Now, some of you may think, Adam, I mean, that's, that's, that's a decent sermon. I'll, I'll give it about a five. That's okay. Out of two. No, I'm just kidding. Um, some of you will catch that at lunch. Just don't choke when you do. Um, but you're thinking, that's about the most naive thing I've ever heard anybody say. Are you trying to tell us that if we come together for a meeting an hour-long meeting on a Sunday night, and throw some ideas out there on the table that everything's going to be just wonderful from that day forward. I mean, that's about the most naive thing you could ever say. I mean, you're, you're, you're building up something here it's impossible to, to, to follow through with. I'm not so naive as to think that one meeting is going to solve every issue we might ever face as a congregation. I'm not so naive as to think that that every idea that's put forward is something that will be done the next you know, week or month or year or who, who knows how long. I, I don't know that. None of us really knows that. So I, I don't see this one meeting we're having next Sunday night as, as the answer to everything. But what I do see it as is a catalyst. You see, it begins the falling of the dominoes. That when a good idea is put forward, I see that that brother, that sister in Christ, they're thinking of someone other than themselves. And I look around that room and I see our elders listening. And our elders taking in ideas. Our elders really overseeing and shepherding simultaneously. And I see members maybe who don't speak up all that often. They're willing to speak up and say, could we at least try this? And I think, you know, 
I've never heard that person talk before. (laughs) But they love this place. See, around a century ago, some people thought it was important for, or more than that, some people thought it was important for God's people to be in this place. Not this specific building, but in this area of the country. And they saw a dream of maybe, just maybe, there could be a church here. I don't know how many people will be involved in it, but it'll be a place where God's Word is taught, where families are strengthened, and who knows what will happen. Some of you have been a part of that for 50, 60, maybe even more years. You've seen some amazing things. Do you really think those people who began to meet as the Church of Christ all those years ago really thought that on a Sunday morning in 2016, a missionary from Russia and his daughter would be here that we helped support all the way across the Atlantic Ocean? Glad to see Eugene here. Do you really think those people all those years ago thought that here in about six or seven hours, a man would be coming in to tell us about works in Southeast Asia, Wayne Barrier, and how many literally thousands of people are baptized on a regular basis in that part of the world, and we help support that? Do you really think those people thought that seven days from now, we'd be hearing from Barton Kaiser and how there's work in Peru and how people are being brought to the Lord in South America, and we help support that. Do you really think they thought that's what's going to happen? I have no earthly idea. But I know this. That dream didn't start with me. That dream didn't start with our elders. That dream didn't even start with those people a century or so ago. That dream started with Jesus. If you don't believe me, Consider three passages from Matthew, and then we'll be finished. Jesus said, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives with joy, and he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But as for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. In another 30, Matthew 13, 18 through 23, growth was a part of the plan. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. All things are terrible in the world. All the economy is falling apart. All this is bad. The gates of hell will not prevail against my Lord's church. And I'm still dreaming of the future. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Whatever dreams, whatever visions you may have, 
That's the biggest one. My Lord said, the vision that I have for my church is every person on the planet reached for the gospel. I can't dream that big, but I trust in a God who who has. And who has already said that's part of our job, that's our commission, to reach them all. The only question left for me to ask really is this. Are you willing to dare to dream? Are you just okay being okay? Are you willing to say, I'm so thankful that I live where I live, that I'm a part of what I'm a part of, and I look forward to a wonderful future based upon a fantastic past, but more than that, based upon an infinite, powerful God. Maybe there's someone here this morning who's never become a Christian. Jesus sacrificed Himself to make that possible so that you could become a part of that family of God that dares to dream and does the work of those dreams. Have you ever put Him on in baptism? Confessing your sins, being willing to turn from those sins, confessing Him as Lord, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. We would love to help you do that this morning. Maybe this morning as a Christian, you've kind of just been living okay with being okay. And you realize, I need to step out in faith. I need to press forward. I need to realize that the past has been good, and I'm thankful for it. But I want to be a part of even greater things. I want to make sure that I'm always active, always working, and always sacrificing to make wonderful things happen. If you need encouragement or forgiveness this morning, or if you need to become a Christian this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.